Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Exabel. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I speak to Avi Rosenbluth, formerly a portfolio manager at AQR Capital Management, a systematic fund. In our conversation, we run through Avi's reservations around alternative data and touch on what he thinks needs to happen before the sector can go truly stratospheric. Separately, join us on Wednesday at 10 a.m. EST for a discussion around whether ESG outperformance is set to end soon, led by CEO of RepRisk, Philip Aby, and Bitvor CEO, Elizabeth Pritchard. Finally, any London-based listeners should definitely come down to the Viaduct Tavern near Farringdon Tube for alternative data drinks this Thursday from 6pm. All links are in the podcast notes. Can you um, introduce AQR a little bit? Just just say just say a little bit about it, What the, the fund. Sure. So AQR is an asset manager and specifically a systematic asset manager. And again, I want to, uh, I'll explain what that means, but uh, I think it's important to know there's a systematic asset manager, which is a very different entity from a discretionary asset manager or from discretionary hedge fund. So I'll talk about the Mm -hmm. systematic, but keep in mind, this is uh, one kind of entity in an industry that has a wider range. Um, AQR as a systematic asset manager believes in using data, statistics, and analytics in order to drive investments. No one sits uh, inside AQR reading financial statements, going to um, uh, reading the news, for example, deciding it sounds to me like Google is going to do well in the next quarter. Instead, uh, there are researchers who look at data sets, time series, historical prices, uh, historical earnings, uh, and other other types of uh, data, and trying to put together a model a statistical model that would estimate based on those historical uh, data points what performance would be going forward. Um, Every day, uh, we upload a lot of information into uh, databases, run statistical models, and the statistical models are the ones spitting out a conclusion. uh, This is what we need to uh, own, and this is what we need to, for example, short, depending, of course, on the guidelines of the fund. But when you say is, every day, you're, you're, you're uploading yesterday's data for today's trading. Is that right? Or, or is that how you mean kind of every day you're uploading it? Yeah, I, what I mean is it's not a high frequency shop. So there's no uh, process of reading data at one in order to trade at one in one minute. So there's some time delay. I think a day uh, is a good uh, rough number. Sometimes the delays are longer. If you talk about financial uh, data, for example, some of those are reported quarterly. But generally speaking, it's a, call it a daily process rather than a higher frequency process. But in the end, it is an optimizer that spits out a view saying, here's what we need to buy. Obviously, there's more going on in terms of making sure there's liquidity and, and no holidays and no special outside events and so on and so forth. But in the end, um, most of the decisions are made by a computer and hardly anyone looks at the data uh, in, a, in, a, in a very detailed manner. Would you be able to say how long the average uh, stock was held for or, or, or security was held for? The short answer is that it depends on the fund, it depends on the strategy, it depends on the volatility. Uh, mechanically, there could be cases where you hold just for one day. There could be cases that you hold for years. Um, it really depends on the fund. There is no one answer. It's actually very wide range. 
that's fine. But the one day that's you've you've kind of definitely put the put the nail in the in the coffin of that HFT idea because if it, if one day is your minimum, then 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 yeah, that's cool. Um, so uh, and so this is and this is your universe is is gigantic. We've talked a little bit before. Like in in theory, you trade um, you know mid cap Pakistan as well as as well as U.S. Treasuries. Is that right? Yes. Um, AQR is an asset manager, and I think this is true for many systematic asset managers. There are different funds, they have different styles, but many of them just track a benchmark. And if Pakistan would be part of the MSCI emerging, for example, then uh, there is a need to trade in Pakistan, uh, again, subject to regulatory uh, restrictions and other practical restrictions. But for the most part, if if a fund is tracking a benchmark and it is possible and practical to trade the assets that are in the benchmark, uh, AQR would trade them. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the potential universe is kind of everything from a, from a geographical perspective, or oh, sorry, within the MSCI um, index. I think <clears throat> we have to keep in mind, in the end, it's what works best for investors. So the potential universe, you can say, is anything that is liquid and fits the guidelines. Um and practically, it is a very wide universe, mostly of liquid instruments, but in different asset classes. It could be equities, it could be uh, credit, it could be uh, fixed income, it could be commodities, it could be currencies, etc. Okay, cool. Okay, so that is, and you uh, have been a portfolio manager at AQR from 2016 to, to 2021 this year. Yeah. Um, so... How has alternative data entered your entered your um, radar? How has it come across your your bows? Have you, um, yeah? How how has it how has it touched your world, and how much has it touched your world? Uh, sure, Mark. I'm going to answer this question more in uh, I'd say industry terms than in specific AQR terms. Okay. But I think the insights are very relevant, and and they are with minor adjustments, uh, relevant not only to AQR, not only to systematic, but actually to the entire uh, range of players in the industry, okay? Um, if you think about finance, about the asset management side, there are thousands of hedge funds, and this is a very competitive field. Uh, whenever there is a way to have some signal and you can implement it, everybody wants to make just a little bit more money because everything is very easy to measure and everything is very are closely measured. There are rankings and there are ratings and there are comparisons and there are charts of the performance of each and every fund going back many years. And there's a very very significant financial upside to beating the competition. So each and every one of those thousands of institutions uh, would be willing to pay a lot of money uh, for anything that gives um, some upside or some competitive advantage. In a way, 50 or 100 basis points of excess uh, return in your fund is a dramatic um, benefit relative to the very tight competition. With that said, um, there is a lot of alternative data that is generated, but it has a hard time making its way into the mainstream of the industry. Most asset managers, in systematic as well as in discretionary, um, are still using mostly financial data. Uh, things like historical prices, um, reported data, and so on, and use alternative data as a side benefit to tweak things, but not as the main driver of the investments. Um, 
Many of the hedge funds still don't use alternative data at all, even though they would love to do that. Now, when you're picturing, just to, sorry, well, when you're picturing alternative data, yeah. and of alternative data is a gigantic world, um, what, what do you immediately think of when you think of alternative data? Is there a type of data set which springs to mind, or do you immediately kind of think of the long tail of, of small data sets and things? Or, or do, you have a, do you have a specific kind of you know, image in mind when you think of alternative data? So I'm not sure there is a standard definition in the industry that everybody would follow. What I'm referring to, I'm thinking of financial data as any data that comes out of the uh, exchanges or from the trading markets, uh, things like prices of securities and prices of assets, uh, anything that is reported and anything that is um, created by a standard uh, data provider for the industry, such as the benchmark weights of different uh, stocks. All those in my mind are standard uh, data. Traditional, traditional data. Yes. Mm -hmm. The alternative data would be, and I'll use the poster child that I think uh, everybody's familiar with from many years ago, kind of the parking lots of uh, shopping malls. Mm -hmm. I suspect, I, I think of those as alternative data, but obviously there's a lot more uh, that can be used. So if you want to take wind speed uh, for power, uh, weather data and so on, I would consider all those alternative. Yeah. Okay. So the idea is that you're saying that hedge funds would love to get this because information is power. Information is, is in theory, information is money because it means you can get an edge on the competition. Um, but you're saying that you don't think alternative data is being used um, that much or as much as it could be in the hedge fund space, both on the, on the, on the quantitative and the discretionary sides. Um, why, why don't you think it's being, well, first, can you, are you able as a quant to quantify what you mean by not that much or not as much as it should be? I mean, it's obviously hard to put numbers to, but are you able to, to talk around that at all? Or, or just, is it a gut feeling or, or I don't know, can you, can you illuminate that at all? So I'm not, uh, familiar with what's going on in each and every, uh, asset manager, and I don't know the exact statistics, and obviously those things are changing uh, day mm. by day. But I would say that at a high level, as far as I can tell, um, there is extremely high motivation to get that advantage, and everybody knows that alternative data is the place to look because the traditional data is available to everybody. There is a very significant investment and in the end, where it is right now is that alternative data uh, is used, but somewhat marginally. Uh, I, I believe that hardly anyone is using alternative data other than to uh, tweak the signal, to um, modify it slightly. If I have to put percentage around it, I would guess that uh, in most cases, at least 75 to 90% is still traditional data and the alternative data is marginal. There could be mm. experimental small funds here and there that are doing more, but industry-wide, uh, it is probably still um, vast majority traditional data. There's a commonly quoted... Um... Or there's a commonly quoted research note from Granby Research, which estimated or valued the alternative data market in, I think, 2019 at $1.7 billion, which um, when you're considering the kind of the amount of money being thrown around in the hedge fund space, isn't 
that huge, $1.7 billion. And that was their calculation for the amount of alternative data sold in 2019. Um, and then they go on to, to forecast that that's going to grow to uh, $17 billion by 2027. So they see a huge, huge potential growth and, and, and not just from the hedge fund space, from, from, other, from other spaces. But um, so that, that kind of backs you up, I would say, in terms of, you know, 1.7 billion. Or did, does, that sound, does that sound high to you, the 1.7 billion figure in, in terms of the whole, the whole alternative data market right now? Or does it sound about right? No, it sounds about right. It sounds definitely reasonable. And I would say two things. One is from the growth that is projected, I think it is obvious that everybody agrees that there's a lot of potential, but it's not fulfilled yet. If there is room to grow so much, it means that the need is there, but it, the, the purchases uh, or the, the, the actual investment in, in the data uh, is behind uh, the, the full potential. But the other thing I would say, the, out of the 1.7 billion, my guess is that a lot of it is still experimental. A lot of um, mm. hedge funds that are thinking about going into AI buying the data, call it with VC money in order to be um, the first to play in the field. I don't think the 1.7 billion is actually all and entirely put to use in traditional uh, actual asset management. Mm. Okay, that's cool. So then let's 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 uh, grab the bull by the horns and and ask why. What do you think? Because and um, what do you think is the the main reason? If there's the desire there, and there's also the the um, availability, you know, one can if one pays the money, one gets can get hold of alternative data. What do you think might be holding the space back and stopping it from achieving its potential right now? Yeah. Um... I'll start with what does not hold it back. I don't think it's computing power and I don't think it's storage or anything along those technical uh, aspects of things. Um, especially recently with the cloud, uh, all those technical aspects are relatively available and relatively cheap. Not a big deal. I would say that financial services and particularly asset management and investing is a highly regulated industry. And in that sense, Using data incorrectly, making a mistake, making any decision that makes uh, clients lose money is a regulatory event. Uh, if as a hedge fund, you make a mistake, for example, you ingest the wrong data, you use it, you make an investment that doesn't follow your protocol, regardless of whether the client lost money or not, you have to report it to the regulator. And that's not a pleasant event. The regular comes in, checks what's going on, and you can get a fine even if the client didn't lose money simply by, uh, you know, pure luck. The outcome of all that, that the industry is very afraid of um, creating a process that is not airtight. So let's take a day in the life of a systematic fund. Uh, in the end of the day, you want to run some optimize and decide what you need to trade. In order to do that, and you make your way kind of backwards upstream, it starts with uploading data, feeding it through the model, running all kinds of optimizers, monitoring it, figuring if you have to rerun certain things, looking at things and approving them, and eventually sending things into trading. That process takes time. It starts in the morning. And let's say my timeline says that by 10 a.m., I have to have all the data available for the optimizer to run and generate the view. If my vendor, commits to giving me the data every day at 9, but from time to time they are late and the data arrives 10.30, that means that you delay my entire production machine. If that happens and as a result, by the end of the day, I can't send the trades on time, 
that is something that is already bothering me. And if it happens uh, frequently enough, that would stop me from actually working with that vendor to put the data in. Even if the so data, you're relying on them, you're relying on them coming up with the goods, and not all vendors are, you know, giant companies with many years of of kind of, you know, and with with huge, you know, not every, not all vendors are like Goldman Sachs. They, they're not all there able to um, to guarantee in the way that that uh, perhaps one, a big institution might be able to. So that that's an issue. Is that is that they may be unreliable? I, I won't even call it unreliable. I would say. Let's say there's an issue with a compute farm. It happens to everybody, even to the biggest and most sophisticated players. Um, understanding the importance of providing curated data on time may require some backup. Maybe you need to run on two separate uh, pools just to make sure that if one of them doesn't perform, right, the other one is still available. So that would require more investments upfront but from the side of the vendor, but the vendor also has to prove that they have the track record and the capabilities to maintain that over time. This is just one example. Actually, an even better example is curating the data. Especially in a systematic fund, if you get one piece of information that is wrong, um, because there is no good way to monitor the amounts of data that are coming in. Imagine a universe of 2,000 companies that uh, one fund is investing in, and imagine that just one of them has one wrong piece of information, which impacts the model so that you buy a single name stock instead of selling that single name stock. Um, probably the uh, asset manager wouldn't like to be responsible for curating all the data that is coming in. And unless the vendor can prove that their data is reliable enough, again, we have a problem, especially in a systematic fund. Imagine a, a fund that is using nonlinear models. We get the data in, in miles instead of kilometers, right? Some kind of alternative data. It's hard to predict what that would do to the model. Can you uh, cross-reference? So if you, were, if you were buying four different sources of alternative data to cover the same ticker, and you were finding you know, a correlation in all four, and you were tracking those all four, and one of them suddenly went wildly off, would the other three surely not be able to, to, to spot it and set off a warning and say, you need to check this fourth one? So if you're going into the world of uh, curating the data and making sure it is correct, that can be done. But when it comes to alternative data, you usually don't have four vendors selling you the exact same data. Not the same. In fact, but the but the but surely, if we're talking, so for example, if you've got data showing geolocation visits and data showing transaction, like credit card transactions, and that for the same for the same shop um, or the same restaurant, um, and they broadly correlate, they're they're broadly tracking each other, um, then you could have different data sets along the same uh, like along the same line on the same path, and if one of them suddenly started giving you some some strange because you're kind of you're talking about the danger of of very wrong data or or, or data which could you know which could get you in trouble with the regulator because it's really thrown throwing things out um and that kind of major deviation surely could be found by comparing it to other streams of data that you're getting and and, and some kind of alert could be set up to um to check for it wouldn't you think Yes. So if we're talking again about the world of data ver verification, data curation, data um, monitoring, 
there are many alternative techniques. And in fact, all those funds are using those because even for the traditional, the financial data, you need to do that. Um, so there's no lack of effort and no lack of investment. But in the end, um, especially if you buy alternative data from many different sources, um, mm. you want to make sure that that doesn't change your operational burden and your compliance risk in any meaningful way. So what I would say, and, and this is, again, this is just one aspect. There's, there's a second aspect of hesitation when it comes to buying the alternative data. But for this first one of data um, data validation and, and, and data, how, how dependable and reliable the data is, mm. um, there, there will be some testing and verification no matter what. It's just that when you talk about big piles of data, a lot of things can go wrong. So... Um, maybe if the if the number is wrong by a factor of 100, it's easy to detect. What if the number is wrong by a factor of 1.1, just 10%, but over a long period of time? That would be much harder to detect. So in a way, I think the first aspect is you want the data to arrive on time and be very reliable such that it doesn't slow down your production. Imagine that the data arrives just before 10, you run the optimizer, in parallel you run your verification, and by noon you figure out that the data was wrong you need to restart your machine, right? Now, it sounds like, okay, you have until the next morning and at, at, at most people stay late. If you're trading internationally, the markets in Australia, which may be a market you're trading, open around, you know, I'd say the uh, not even very late afternoon, uh, New York time. Mm -hmm. So if you delay the machine by two hours, even if people stay longer, you may lose a lot of the liquidity in Australia. Those are very important considerations. Okay, no, that's 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 fair enough. It's a um, it's a very and and the beauty of traditional data is that it's so um, it's so clean, it's so reliable. Everyone's got it, you know, and and um, and also the fact that everyone's using it means that that if it does have a wobble, then everyone has a wobble type thing. So on a relative basis, you're going to um, you're gonna you're gonna wobble at the same time. Whereas with alternative data, it's it's it'll just be you because you you're one of the few people who bought this data set. Yes, the traditional data also has issues from time to time. It's just that there are enough years of history, so it's easier to check, it's easier to verify, it's easier to work with them to correct, and it's also easy easier to accept that if MSCI made a mistake, which doesn't happen often but could happen, um, it doesn't sound like an asset manager is irresponsible by working with them as compared to an alternative data manager that it sounds like, uh, what were you thinking? These guys don't have enough history. Like the, 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 the high frequency aspect of alternative data seems like a very winning one, particularly given the year we've just had in terms of, so if you're a systematic trader and you're trying to, presumably you're, you've, you've run a lot of back tests on, on, on data going back a very long way and and your your it all kind of fits into trends and you're recognizing previous markets markets and things like that then 2020 was obviously a market which we've never seen before and it's been it's been said by by various sources that you know the high frequency nature of alternative data allowed you to get a to get a read on this this strange new world and be able to kind of be agile with it and and flow with it in a way that traditional data didn't didn't manage did you did you have any experience with that did you see that did you hear about that anywhere um again i understand it i heard a little bit about it but i don't necessarily agree it depends what you call high frequency and relative to what i mean the highest frequency you can get is probably tick data from the exchange 
right? True. And that is coming at a frequency of probably milliseconds, right? Even if you take closing price, that comes in once a day. Most alternative data, I would guess, doesn't come at that frequency. So it's high frequency relative to the financial reporting. It's more than the quarterly um, Qs and Ks, right? Yeah. But it is not more frequent than the uh, data in the exchange. So if the strategy is based on things like momentum uh, or other time series when it comes to prices, for example, the alternative data doesn't give you necessarily high frequency. But it actually speaks, uh, or, or kind of it's a good entry point to the second uh, uh, aspect that I wanted to bring up, which is the breadth and the uh, duration uh, or how, how far back the data goes. A lot of the alternative data uh, is relatively new. Uh, some of it uh, comes from the last, call it, months and, and a few years. Hardly anything goes back, call it, to the 90s. Okay. Um, in part because it wasn't collected, but more, more importantly because probably it didn't exist. Um, if you want to see, for example, website uh, traffic, uh, mm. there's no point measuring it in the 90s. Um, and in that sense, it doesn't have a long enough history. Now, when it comes to asset management, again, I'll start with the systematic funds. Hardly anything is only using a history of two or three years. Many things are based on some analysis or some backtest that goes back sometimes 20, 30, sometimes even 100 years. And I know that 100 years ago is not perfectly relevant, but take the 1987 uh, October crash of the market. This is an important event, and that's a, an important yardstick for many of the things we do. In a way, we've had a bull market for more than 10 years now. Any alternative data that doesn't start, call it in the late 90s, didn't go through the dot-com bubble of 2000, didn't go through the financial crisis of 07, 08, and in that sense doesn't give me sufficient history to know how the data... Um, what, what, what the signs are, what the signs are of a, of a crash. Exactly, the most important events that I'm trying to look at. So if I have very detailed information for the last three years, and I need to put it into a fund that is otherwise using 25 years of history for the backtest, the integration is problematic, and I'm not sure it is as reliable as I want it to be. Did the did the traditional data, in the way that you're described, did it give the quantitative... I know the quants had a good year around 2008. Is that because they were able to use um, the historical data in order to understand that this is things are looking bad and and you know to ride that wave was it the fact that they were using that kind of 50 100 years maybe or, or less but um you know using that historical data do, do you think that's why it was why it was a positive time for them or did they did they were they nimble and able to move quickly when when things were changing it, it's a bit hard to tell and to be honest i wasn't in that specific yeah. position in, in 08 i would guess that when a systematic fund is doing well or not, there usually is more than one factor driving it. And in some cases, there could be an element of luck because when you have something happening for the first time, then any backtest and any model uh, doesn't have the data it needs to uh, project it. And then it becomes a little bit of luck. Look, 2020 was not a good year uh, because what happened around COVID was something that the systematic it wasn't a good year sorry for systematic funds it was a good year mm. for discretionary and it so happened that the systematic model were calibrated in a way that in 2020 
didn't work well. There are cases where something happened for the first time and maybe by pure luck, the systematic funds um, got it right. I hear you. I hear you on your second issue and they are both um, salient and relevant. So um, what's the solution? I mean, so if one thing is a lack of history, then time will heal that. Oh, you know, if we wait 10 years at least, then uh, if, if five years is currently a good benchmark for how long your alternative data set is, then in another five years, it'll be double that, you know, so that will, it'll be getting better all the time in terms of your, your history issue. Um, but obviously, we're not going to go back all the way to, um, to 1920 and, and get data from there. So this is a, uh, so that suggests that in order to compete with 1920, there will need to be new methods of um, digesting alternative data and treating it differently, perhaps to, to the way traditional data is used to, to play to its strengths. I think that's right. That's correct. I'll just maybe it's, it's a good point to stop and say what I said is more true for systematic fund than for discretionary. Discretionary mm. inv- managers look at data, read financial statements, talk to the company, read the newspapers, and kind of build their own little model and their assessment. And these guys don't necessarily need that much history. So discretionary managers, especially because there's a person in the loop before making an investment, they can feel more comfortable with more partial data. And when I say more partial, it's shorter history and perhaps also a smaller universe. A systematic manager that is tracking a benchmark that has a thousand names, if the alternative data is covering a portion of that, again, it's challenging to integrate it into the model, but a discretionary manager may not uh, care that much. So I would say, obviously going forward, alternative data is going to become more important in the asset management uh, industry and is going to uh, take a more significant role and a more significant portion of the uh, investment in data and resources that are used to make the decision. It's going to start with more discretionary managers. It's going to make its way into into, uh, systematic managers uh, over time. I think it is important to look at what makes a good set of alternative data because that is something that the providers have to keep in mind. You want to have your data very reliable in terms of correct and timely. You want to make sure that it's complete in terms of as much history as you can but also in terms of how much of the universe it covers, right? Uh, You want to to have it frequent enough. You want to have it uh, with sufficient metadata so that it's easy to join to other data sets. Um, And above all, you, you really want to have it curated such that it can be used as is. Keep in mind one simple element when it comes to financial data about companies, they're corporate actions. If one company has a spin-off and as a result, the ticker changes or the market cap changes and a provider of alternative data doesn't capture that in their metadata on time, that means that because of the uh, delay in updating the metadata, the consumer, the hedge fund that is consuming it, and especially if it's a systematic one, may have data that is practically incorrect for their uh, purposes of making an investment decision. I mean, what this is saying to me is that somebody needs to own that issue. 
you know there needs to be some like a some kind of uh i don't i want to say like a trust firm or a security firm or, or someone who uh is in charge of making sure that all of the ticker information and all that base information and all of these all of these inputs are up to date and up to speed and reliable because and and it's it's difficult you know and it's a, and a it's a big logistical problem but what we're saying what we've said earlier in this conversation is that there is a lot of money being left on the table by it not happening by by that by that unreliability still existing in the system so it makes it makes sense to, to for like to pay a company a, a, a large sum of money to take responsibility for it and own it and guarantee it um because because that that has the potential to unleash gigantic sums yes there, there are two ways to think of it one is talk to the client and instead of telling them how great your data is because it probably is figure out what stops them from taking it ask them when they need it, how frequently, what would make them not use the data, what freaks them out in terms of um, the uh, curation process, in terms of the regulatory concerns they have, and figure out how you can address those. Generally speaking, my guess is that your data is more than good enough in terms of the quality and the value it can bring, and the hesitations are more related to the operational aspects of integrating it into the current production line in a timely and reliable man uh, manner. The second thing, the bigger companies that are providers, data providers to financial services already understands that, understand that. I had a conversation with um, a senior guy from Refinitiv and they talked about many companies coming to them and offering to upload financial data into the Refinitiv platform and Refinitiv is rejecting many of those because Refinitiv estimates that those companies don't handle um, cases such as um, corporate actions in an appropriate way. And as a result, even though the data is valuable, they're afraid to put it on their platform because that could hurt the clients uh, when such corporate actions uh, occur. Mm -hmm. So look around, look at the uh, bigger players, uh, maybe try to work with them to integrate into their platform maybe pay them in order to handle those uh, events and edge cases such that your data would be more reliable. Keep in mind that the hesitation with the funds is less around is the data um, helpful to me and more around how much effort am I going to put into making sure I can trust the data when it comes in. Okay. Uh, anything else that needs to happen for alternative data to achieve its potential? I'm sure there are many more aspects, but from the side, from the point of view of the client, um, the hesitation is mostly around those aspects. Uh, the reliability and the and the and the amount of time, um, the amount of history in the in the data sets. Um, okay, well that's excellent. So um, you have recently left AQR. What what's next, Abby? So I'm looking into a few things. I think the most interesting of them is uh, to look for an opportunity to start a fund that is taking somewhat of a different approach uh, using data. I wouldn't say alternative data, uh, mostly traditional data, and using some, I'd say, innovative aspects of uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. It's a bit exploratory. It is actually 
a pretty crowded field. But uh, it's a very interesting experience and I'm very excited. Is there anyone that, who might be listening to this podcast who, who, you, who you might like to hear from? So at this point, we're running our research mostly on traditional data. And I think when it comes to the world of investing, maybe because of my background, my mindset is to start there and then see if we can add alternative data as cherry um, on top. So right now, we are not looking into uh, specific alternative data. This would probably come uh, in a few months once we establish what we want with the traditional data. Fantastic. Okay, Avi. Well, thank you very much indeed. That's been a fascinating conversation. It's very, um, it's very, you know, the alternative data podcast is very much there for uh, all sides, for for the for the positives, the challenges, the 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 all sides of the alternative data space. So it's you very well, you very eloquently put some of the questions uh, and 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 areas of of concern around alternative data at the moment. Um, and yeah, I'm, I mean, and this is it. Part of part of part of progress is identifying the problems and then somebody comes up with a way to fix them. So, um, so I think either way, it's, it's going to have been creative and, and I hope interesting to, um, to anyone listening. Thank you, Mark, for hosting me. It's uh, always a pleasure to talk about those uh, topics. Absolutely. Thanks, Avi. Thank you.